Good morning. My name is Naledi Cabo, and on behalf of the Africa Tourism Association, welcome to our first CEO Town Hall of 2021. The CEO Town Hall is a part of a series we are conducting in partnership with Voyages Afrique Media as part of the Exchange.Africa, which was created in the midst and in response to the exceptional circumstances as a result of the coronavirus pandemic on the hospitality, tourism, and meetings industry. Today, during the town hall, leaders from Cape Town and Zambia will address questions and issues put before them by a global audience of industry leaders, business owners, and travelers alike. Now, without further delay, I will hand it over to Kojo Benton-Williams, publisher and CEO of Voyages Africa Media, who will facilitate our conversation. Kojo? Hi, Naledi. Thank you, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Mr. Felix Shiloh, Zambia Tourism Agency, and then Amber Demini from the Cape Town Tourism. Once again, Happy New Year, and good to see you. Uh, thank you. Let's, let's get started. I know that... I mean, we're all expecting a very <clears throat> super 2021. Uh, unfortunately, we've been hit by a second wave and the variant and all of that. Uh, Enva, let me start with you. What is the situation in Cape Town? Thank you. Um, and again, Nalili, thanks for, for the invitation. Uh, we're always humbled to be part of such a, you know important conversation um, where we find ourselves. And as Cape Town, where we find ourselves today is, as you had rightfully said, Kojo, is, is that we are going through a second wave. Um, we are aware that uh, most viruses um, will mutate and there'll be various strains. And unfortunately, we've been hit with one of those strains. Um, for Cape Town as a city, as much as South Africa is getting to its peak of the second wave, as Cape Town and the Western Cape, that's the region where we're in, we're beginning to see a flattening out of that curve and also then a decline in the number of um, reported infections. So we are cautiously optimistic that things are moving in the right direction. But again, you know, with these viruses, you'll never get them under control. You're gonna have to learn to live with the viruses and hopefully with a vaccine, um, you know, coming soon, we're hoping to at least be able to turn to some form of normalcy in the near future. Okay, thank you, Eva. Felix, from... Uh... Zambia, last week, there were new uh, review laws for, you know, solving the situation or at least bringing it under control. From the tourism side, uh, what is the ZTA doing? Yeah, so um, I, I think um, like uh, South African Cape Town, uh, Zambia is also just uh, going through the second wave. And I must say that the, the first wave experience from about March to um, around August, September, around July 2019 was not as severe. In fact, it actually had a lot of question marks as to whether COVID was, was real. But uh, it is said that now the, the, the strain we have this year is more severe. We're seeing more deaths. Uh, and um, uh, it has actually wiped out uh, the gains to recovery that we started gaining from September, October, November into the Christmas period. And the trajectory was very positive. Uh, but the ZTA, in response to the first wave of COVID, our first thing, uh, first act was basically to start working on how to make the destination safe. And therefore, we came up with the COVID uh, safety protocols to assure the safety of both the industry players as well as the travelers. And these were, went down very well uh, in industry. We are acknowledged by the UNWTO and we also uh, obtained the 
WTTC uh, Safe Travel Stamp, which is uh, um, being given to all compliant facilities. So I think our main focus has been to see how we can assure uh, the, the market that uh, how safe the destination is and how to provide information to the traveling public as to what is obtaining on the ground, what are the requirements in terms of certification, uh, what happens at the airport, which airlines are flying to Zambia and, um, and giving us, dishing out as much information as possible. And in the interim, before the second wave, our focus was mainly to promote domestic tourism uh, as, as a safety net for you know, letting the industry float. Uh, promotes domestic tourism safely. So I think that's been pretty much our preoccupation in, in, in Zambia. So talk about uh, domestic tourism. Again, uh, what are the baby steps that has been made? You know, we know that it's very difficult and it's a very fluid situation, but in terms of domestic tourism itself, with now the second wave and, you know, people not allowed to move within certain times and curfews, what is it that you yes. can report to, you know, uh, to, to the tourism world? Yeah, so, so it's a, it's a catch-22 situation because uh, uh, I think every destination, including Zambia, we had to really look critically at the domestic tourism. And uh, it was quite uh, reasonably easy because there was an industry that was in dire straits with a lot of closures and they needed some kind of valve and relief. So at least for 2019, when uh, the first wave, which was not so severe, uh, was ebbing out, and when we had put in place the, safety, the COVID safety protocols, we worked very closely with private sector who came forward with subsidized rates. And of course, we, we did a lot of campaign on how you could be a domestic tourist and uh, travel safely. Uh, and by giving uh, information on what the domestic tourists needed to look out for in order to stay safe, tips, and this is still going on. Uh, and you can almost see that it was probably an opportunity. They say every cloud has a silver lining. Uh, and uh, it was an opportunity to, to harm, harm on the domestic tourism opportunity and say, look, here's an opportunity for you to, to actually travel, do something that you only dreamt about because of the discounted rates that existed. And Zambia never really closed down uh, because our cases have not been as severe as other destinations. So Zambia never really closed down, but we still made sure that the domestic tourists traveled responsibly, uh, they were safe. So in fact, uh, the statistics, although we haven't got the final figures yet, indicate that actually there was a rallying of the domestic tourism. In fact. Uh, during the Christmas holidays, uh, Livingstone was fully booked and we had to have a major sensitization for the operators uh, to remind them on their responsibilities in terms of the safe, uh, safe, safe travel uh, practices. Uh, so that was actually something quite unusual coming from a dry spell, which was uh, in the height around April, May, June. Uh, and so um, now that there's a second wave, we really have to be, uh, it's like um, it, it, there's, there's the aspect of responsibility. Do we, do we, the initial message was stay at home, travel tomorrow. Now we did get to a window where we actually encourage the domestic tourists to travel uh, safely. But now the second wave is quite, 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 quite harsh. Uh, and uh, personally, I would, I, would, I would think that the safest, 
stage in which we can actually go full hog to promote domestic tourism has to be the stage when the vaccine has been rolled out. I think that's, we are all expecting that when the vaccine has been rolled out, then we can build up on the gains that COVID has brought in terms of, uh, you know, harvesting the domestic tourism. Uh, right now, uh, we've got to actually balance between being responsible, not, you know, because it is actually a severe uh, second wave and, 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 and uh, getting the domestic tourists interested in travel. I do believe that the vaccine is going to be the ultimate situation, which now creates uh, the ideal environment in which we can promote easily with the free conscious. Okay, talking about the vaccine, let me bring in Enver. Enver, from, uh, from where you are, and obviously Cape Town was expecting a lot of uh, flights to start uh, you know, coming in this year, and South Africa being a hotspot, I mean, quote unquote, uh, how, what practical measures are you taking you know, as a tourism agency in your province? It's a very good question. And I think maybe where we'd start is maybe to pick up where Felix had, had ended off. It's about a, a few practical things that, uh, you know, as the sector, I think when it came to the first wave, um, there was consultation with government and we knew that um, this was uncharted waters and therefore we were all willing to take a short break by, let's say, shutting down tourism in our regions um, with the hope that we could, of course, manage the spread of the virus and therefore allow us to open up. Um, and I think when we got through that first set of lockdown and that first wave, we were well on the road to recovery. We started seeing um, increase in domestic demand. Um, and of course, international demand was still trickling in, but airlines were still confident that they would um, be able to heal um, our traditional high season, which would have been, let's say, the festive period. Um, but when we, were, when we got through to the second wave, um, I think that's when we were all taken for, again, another shock and a little bit unprepared. Even though we've got all the safety protocols in place, we knew, uh, you know, we subscribe to the WTTC protocols, we've got our own protocols, et cetera. But I think what we weren't expecting was the speed of the spread of the second wave. I think we were underestimating it. And I think when government said, look here guys, the rate of infections is growing significantly, we need to take drastic steps. It was around the timing that it happened in our festive period. And of course, when we had no trade for at least six to seven months prior to the second wave, we were all looking forward to making up for that loss in our festive period. And of course, now that we were, were unable to capitalize on that, where the industry finds itself now is also in a hot spot. You know? and, and for me, that's, that, that's a big concern. The question is, is that are we going to outlast the rollout of the vaccine? Because that's also going to take a long time. So we're sitting between a rock and a hard place, but I think what, 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 is, what is comforting for me uh, in the space as the agency is one, we've got a destination brand that's globally recognized, not just for its experiences, but also the quality of safety that comes with it. Um, and as the agency, what we continue to do is to make sure that we provide up-to-date, credible uh, and vetted information to travel trade and travel media. Because unfortunately, there's lots of fake news out there. There's lots of people who've got other agendas to push out the specific narrative. And it's incumbent on us to be able to address that negative media. Otherwise, that becomes the only narrative in a digital space. And a good example of that is, is that recently, um, I think when the UK, who of course had their own um, variant, 
of, of, of the virus. And then there was a South African who happened to come back, um, who also had a South African variant. They expediently then blamed South Africa as the cause of the second wave. And they then called it the South African variant. And that they went on national television and said, now the damage that it has to us as a destination without fact and with political expediency on that side, if we don't challenge it, that will be the only narrative. And that will get airplay, that will get retweeted, reshared. And no matter what you do from a safety protocols vaccination, people's perceptions of the destination is gonna be, oh, it's a South African virus. And that's affecting our second wave. So I think what we have been doing is making sure we counteract that by providing relevant information to travel trade and travel media in the UK, as an example, as a key source market. We continue to provide them with uh, online travel trade training. So we still got new products. We've got um, existing products that up, have updated the experiences, have added in further safety protocols. So we continue to feed this information to trade so that once you know those borders are open and the flights are resumed, Travel Trade have got enough information to be able to sell on to, to the tourists. So we will keep that, that communication going. But at the same time, we're sitting with the industry and saying, we need to protect our current assets. Because unfortunately, with no revenue coming in and government having fairly little money to support the sector at the stage, the concern is, is that if our key assets, tourist attractions, um, no longer exist, it's going to be very difficult for us to rebuild the brand as well as to showcase what the destination has on offer. So as much as we're trying to diversify new products, we still need to make sure we can protect existing products and experiences so that when we do get to the point of a post-COVID world, we can still kind of hit the ground running. Okay. Now, uh, you spoke about the trade, specifically with the airlines. How do you engage them to still have confidence in, in the destination? What are some of the things that, you, I mean, because I think uh, United was supposed to start flying into uh, South Africa. And then you, you made a point where you clearly indicated how some media were misrepresenting the facts, you know, with the UK variant and now shifting on to South Africa, you know, et cetera. How do you get this information out there well to the, to, to, to the trade? So how we do it, um, especially when it comes to talking to the airlines. So we are fortunate in Cape Town that um, three or four years ago, we established what we call the Cape Town Air Access Initiative. It's a public-private initiative where we try to, of course, increase the frequency of flights of, of existing routes. We try to expand routes. And then, of course, we try to find new routes into the market. And that has been successful in the extent that it's helped us to actually engage directly with airlines um, in a way to understand what are the reasons for travel? What are their pressures? And then how do we both from a public and private sector perspective assist in um, removing some of those barriers so that we can stimulate demand? And that has been successful. So from an engagement perspective, what we need to realize is that um, all airlines around the world are now making financial decisions. It's not about whether the route is a destination that all the tourists want to go to. It's about cost efficiencies. And therefore most routes are mostly going to be either with domestically or interregionally if um, the distance from the market is there. I think also that since the demand is down globally for international travel, um, you know, it makes it very difficult to put any form of argument because it's now about putting money and more money into the pot. And unfortunately with, with, with like say the South African Rand dollar exchange, it makes it extremely difficult to have that counter argument. Uh, so how we work with the airlines again is 
we understand that airlines is more than just about bums and seats. It's also about cargo. So what we need to understand is also how do we help in, in moving cargo so that we can still simulate routes, even though they may not have the passenger healed, they can still have the cargo. And that's where from an economic perspective, what uh, the region has done is focused on um, cargo routes. Um, we're also looking at, if you look at now agri-processing, it becomes important also for food distribution, uh, making sure that it can reach all, uh, all markets. Uh, but I think also we mustn't underestimate two new opportunities. The one is the growth in um, online sales and e-commerce. So lots of e-commerce is happening, which means goods need to be moved between destinations. So it makes it also easier where your cargo can also increase because of that increased demand for online e-commerce. And then also with a lot of the vaccinations, that's going to be important. Another place where airlines are going to need to play a role and not just airlines bringing in the cargo, but also then the distribution locally. So we continue to engage with the airlines, understand their pressures. Of course, we can't give money, but what we do do is we provide other forms of support. Uh, it could be land side support for when they do bring their stuff in. It could be looking at re-warehousing, uh, maybe some form of deductions in landing fees, et cetera. So there are multiple different conversations that we are having with airlines. And then to counteract um, the negative media, it's very difficult. There's actually been studies done says that for every one piece of negative media out there, you need nine pieces to counteract that one. Now, it's quite difficult when the message already that's been said globally is saying, you know, there's the South African variant is the cause of all of this. The only way we can do it in our little bit is making sure that every relationship we have with any um, travel trade or travel media, we provide outside of the story with a credible source of someone, let's say a doctor who is respected providing that counter argument. We're not doctors. So we need to make sure we can also rely on professionals to put at least a counter argument. It may not extend to the, to let's say um, television, which we don't have the, the resources for, but we believe that if travel trade and travel media trust us over the last 20, 30, 40 years of working with him, the only thing we can do is put a counter argument on the table rather than that being the only narrative. So that's the little we do do um, in trying to counter um, both from an airlines, uh, but also from a, a negative media perspective. Okay, Amber, thank you so much. Felix, mm -hmm. uh, there's a question here from uh, John, you know, saying that what kind of activities are your, are your destiny, you know, uh, is Zambia planning to, 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 to make itself relevant, you know, in the midst of this difficult uh, situation? Are you considering some virtual events? And uh, again, how do you then uh, revive the sector? Especially not just the domestic tourism market, but yeah. the tourism market in Zambia. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, I think I see two, two parts of the question. What are we doing in the virtual space? And how are we keeping the market aware of our destination? And uh, both of them are very important questions. <clears throat> to start with, uh, during this COVID pandemic, I think most of our destinations, including Zambia, we focused on how to, to make sure that the destination is safe and seen to be safe. That's been the most primary um, activity and responsibility. We've come up with protocols, but we must also be seen and we must act and work to ensure that these are actualized, they are effective. And then we must get the information out to the market. The market 
at the moment is uh, yearning to travel as soon as the green light is given and the market is looking for information. <clears throat> There's going to be a rearrangement in the tourism market as we've known it because of COVID. The travel considerations that the traveler has to make uh, have changed completely. And uh, uh, in, the, in, in, in the past, the issue of uh, uh, the security of assurance of uh, health uh, may not have been uh, top, of, top, of, top of range. But now that, that is actually the case. That's the number one consideration is the destination safe. So I think the Zambia Tourism Agency and Zambia, uh, our primary preoccupation at the moment is to make sure that we send out information out to the market on the measures that are put in place to, 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 to make sure that the destination is safe. Uh, and then of course, how are you gonna do this? Because uh, marketing as it's been known, uh, getting out to trade fairs, to ITB, to uh, w, uh, World Travel Market, uh, it's, it's not going to be there. We all know it's in the industry now. And of course we know now there's gonna be a virtual uh, ITB and Zambia is gonna participate uh, there's, there's going to be another, uh, we are Africa virtual. We participated in the one which was there last year. And uh, of course, we're going to be there this year. Obviously, uh, it, is, it is hard to mean that we en enhance our uh, uh, e-marketing and our social media platforms to make sure that information is going out there. Uh, and, and therefore, in that respect, uh, there's a whole range of activities a plan even for 2021 uh, with an enhanced budget for e-marketing to make sure that the market knows and can see the destination on the virtual space. That is, that is very key. The second thing is connected to the fact that every destination is gonna uh, have to cultivate their domestic market uh, seriously when the time is right. But as you know, most African destinations like Zambia, our population is under 20 million. And so the middle, middle class of that population uh, may be not more than 10%. Uh, and so uh, it, it begs the question, uh, how do we fill the gap uh, which is uh, being left at the moment by international tourists who may, uh, you know, they might not have been that much, Zambia is now about 1.2 million international arrivals. Uh, but in terms of value, uh, the value proposition is much higher. How do we fill that gap? So we are also looking at regional tourism, uh, regional travel. And for a long time, we may not have paid attention to the barriers that hinder uh, regional tourism. Zambia, for example, is land, land linked to eight other countries put together you're looking at a population, including South Africa, of more than 200 million people, compared to less than 20 million Zambians, uh, there's a big opportunity, but there are constraints. Uh, so we are now uh, you know, tend on the volume in terms of looking at what are the barriers to intra-regional tourism. And uh, Zambia is part of a regional grouping under SADIC, which is called uh, CASA. Kavango Zambezi Transferential Conservation uh, you know, area. And uh, this is actually the largest um, uh, transferential conservation area 
in, in, in the subregion, in, in, in the area. So, so we are we're meeting as CEOs and we're having a lot of virtual meetings to address those barriers to intra-regional travel, uh, which make it difficult for us to harvest the low-hanging opportunity of you know, harvesting intra-regional tourism uh, and, and getting the numbers up. And by the way, I think you know, Kojo, that uh, airline, uh, airline travel is posing is a lot of question mark because of the risk of contracting COVID in flight. But it's not the same with uh, self-drive. And most of the destinations in the sub-region are as good as local. You know, Jobe is uh, uh, nearer um, by flight. It's one and a half hours flight to Lusaka. And some destinations in Zambia are longer than uh, Lusaka Jobe, which means it's actually quite easy for tourists to take to the road and drive out to the Zambian national parks. So some of these are the strategies that we're looking at to see uh, if that we can just see is that we bring back arrivals and numbers to our destinations quickly. So there's gonna be a rearrangement in the way the tourism market was drawn. I think there's a lot more attention being paid to what can we do collaboratively as a region? How can we get work together? And the CASA initiative is already looking at uh, issues of visas, issues of um, other barriers to crossing borders, the uh, police roadblocks um, and, and many things, the state of the roads, the regional interlinking roads. So this is gonna be the agenda. As tourism agency, uh, we have to actually put this, some of these things high on the agenda in terms of okay. okay, thank you, Mr. Chayla. But also in terms of, uh, <clears throat> in terms of the austerity measures for the sector, the private sector, where are we at now in uh, Zambia? Yes. Um, the private sector has been hard hit. Um, but there's been a response from the government to give some incentives to the private sector. For example, um, the license fees uh, that are paid, most of the tourism license fees in the tourism sector have been suspended for the year 2021, uh, including you know, yeah, you know, you know, the non-tourist license fees are not going to be paid this year. Uh, government has extended the reduction in corporate tax to the to the to selected tourism sector from 35% to 15%. Uh, there's been an import duty reduction for safari vehicles to help the sector um, recover. Uh, or reinvest. There's been, um, uh, there, 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 there's also been uh, uh, other incentives, uh, for example, loans, uh, COVID loans at lower interest rates uh, that have been extended to the, to the tourism sector. Um, and again, in, other than the government, there's been uh, regional aid coming from, for example, KFW, quite a number of uh, various funding coming to the sector to help private sector. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's also been a heightened collaboration between private sector, uh, government, I mean, to, to make sure that uh, certain things are achieved, some of them like the ones I mentioned in terms of 
uh, reduced rates and, and other, other factors. Zambia Tourism Agency is providing platforms for promotion of special rates by the private sector. So there are all these uh, interventions. Uh, of course, there can be more because this, this is literally flattened the, the private sector. So there can be a, a more given, but uh, these are just to mention a few that we've extended to our private tourism private sector to make them recover. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll come back to you on the collaboration, even internally between uh, the tourism agency, the airport and other state institutions. Exactly. Amber, yeah. now uh, let's look at the vaccination and where we, we know that now that we have some vaccines, it, it's, it is the only thing that can guarantee some uh, level of confidence you know, the tourism uh, sector. From your side, how are you engaging with the government, both at the provincial level and national level, to see how we can, you know, uh, see how they will roll out this vaccination program with tourism in mind? I know, obviously, the people are, you know, the, the, the citizens are, are the first point of call. And then how does it affect the tourism sector? So yeah, I, I think. think for, oh. Sorry, Kojo, is that me for? Is it Denver? Yes, Ember, Ember. No, Ember, that's you. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry, <man>. yeah. <laughs> Nobody's feeling. Um, so, so um, from from a, a rollout perspective, I think the first thing is that where government is focusing, and I think it's not just within South Africa. I think it's also within the African Union as part of the Covax uh, program, is to make sure we can secure enough um, of the vaccine to start a distribution. And I think that's kind of where there is already that collaboration on an African continental level. Um, but I also know that many governments and including ours are also working directly with some other suppliers, because I think at the time when we were looking at the COVAX program, there was a lot of uncertainty around the efficacy of any of these viruses. And of course, we all had to hedge our bets of saying, do we go with one manufacturer, do we go with others? And then I think the rest of the world, of course, had already put their billions of dollars into so many of the other pharmaceuticals that they stood a good chance of actually getting vaccines. So I think from a rollout perspective is two things. One, we are working with government in a way to make sure we understand what the rollout plan is. And not by not only understanding its distribution and its inoculation of, of, of how many uh, people are looking at doing every single day. And I think the number sits at 30,000 um, vaccinations per day in South Africa, but also understanding that timeline because I think that's the thing that, that is difficult for, for us as the, as the industry is when things are gonna happen. Because I think when government makes decisions to close down borders, put in curfews, put in other bans, its impact is immediate. And for any business to be able to respond to that, we also need to be able to plan for any relaxation in activities. So I think for us, where we, where we are trying to work with government is not to just understand that there's gonna be a rollout plan, but to understand its timing um, its distribution model, and then also where can tourism play a role? Because I think distribution to 30,000 people per day is a huge task. And I think this is where, from a tourism perspective, if I look at the airlines, they're gonna play an important part. So that's part of the conversation. Uh, we know there's gonna need to be refrigeration warehousing, and that's also where the sector is engaging with, um, with consumers, but I, oh, uh, um, sorry, with, with government. But I think also the another opportunity is we would like to know as the tourism sector, where do we fit into? Because we know there's, the health services are all gonna go first. So everybody that's an essential service 
on the front line of the fight against COVID-19, of course, are going to get the vaccination first. What we are hoping to do is to at least, if we, we of course can't be first, but as tourism sector, we're hoping to be at least in the, in the first set of groups to be able to get access to the vaccine. Um, I know that our local provincial government are also engaging directly with, um, with uh, you know, producers of the vaccine to try and also get um, uh, more bios to, to the Western Cape um, as soon as possible. So we've, I think there's multi-pronged approaches from both provincial or regional government and national government. There is an agreement that this, this is a national program, but I think when it comes to people's lives, the sooner we can get access to the vaccine and roll it out, the better. However, I think just to pick up on what Felix said, tourism has fundamentally changed. And I think for us, the thing is, is that we need to change with it. I think there's still a lot of product um, that are still sitting in denial, who are still operating in the same way. And unfortunately, that becomes also something that's going to be very difficult. And I take eventing as a good example, because I've seen some of the questions that have been popping up around hybrid events, eventing, is that going to last? Felix spoke about, you know, um, Zambia also now participating in an online event. I think this is a means to an end until we can get into the vaccine space, because tourism is more than doing things virtually. I can sell you a destination with 4G, with gamification, but tourism is about connecting with people. We are social beings and we need to go somewhere to actually not just be able to see it, but to smell it, to taste it, to touch it. That's what tourism is. Tourism is a true social connector. And, and the thing is the only thing that will help us to succeed and recover is a vaccine. Everything else is just an interim stopgap um, because we also need to remain active and relevant as, as agencies. Okay. Now, again, to you also uh, in terms of information, because sometimes you see people traveling and when they get to the airports or either from the origin or the destination, there's a lot of confusion. What is Cape Town uh, Tourism doing with the collaboration you know, with the AXA and the other partners? Because we are getting to a point that uh, sometimes you, you, you get all the information there, but again, how to, 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 to make it practical for the traveler is a challenge. What other means are you devising to make sure that you know, travelers don't face such challenges? So I think that the best way for communication, I think where we're fortunate these days is that uh, technology allows us to communicate uh, with lots of people. Um, compared to previously where the only information was on a website or in a brochure. And I think we move beyond that. So what we are doing as Cape Town Tourism is we're working with the likes of Vodafone, um, with Amazon Web Services, who got their head office here in Cape Town. And we're looking at how do we utilize 5G technology and push communication and beacon and, and GPS locations to start pushing messaging. That of course, is going to have to be an opt-in mechanism. But we believe that if you look at the entire value chain of tourism, we also need to be communicating with someone before they get in destination. And I think that's where the access to information is important from both a, a trade perspective, because trade have a relationship with that consumer. So we can push information to them, they can pass it on to their customer. And then once someone is you know, arriving in Cape Town, it's using technology, everybody's got a cell phone and pushing content to them using geolocation. So let's say um, hotspots have been identified within Cape Town. We should be able to identify that hotspot, send a message through to the person and say, you might be going into a hotspot zone. 
rearrange because we also need to realize not everybody's going to come on a guided tour where the tourist guide is going to have that information and then assist the person. We're seeing a lot more independent travelers. So as Cape Town Tourism, we're working with technology partners to find and utilize smart technology in a way that can communicate seamlessly, but also um, quickly with um, visitors in our destination to create a frictionless and safe experience. Okay, Amber, thank you so much. Alex, um, one other area that I would, uh, <clears throat> I would like to explore with you is on the area of, uh, you know, access, air access, visa. Uh, how, there's a question coming in from an Asian traveler that how do uh, Zambia open the visa on the arrival and, 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 and online visa regime? Yeah, I, I was saying that one of the biggest developments for Zambia in the pre-COVID pre era was the launch of the e-visa platform. And um, the e-visa platform, if you like, it has negated all the, the compartments of, of, of visa, uh, visa on arrival, uh, you know, and uh, as compared to, uh, you know, you, you, you apply and then get it approved in the past because the e-visa platform will give a traveler their visa within three days. Of course, everything has uh, teething problems, uh, but what we do, we do have a very strong collaborative uh, relationship with the Immigration Department of Zambia. Uh, and um, it takes uh, time sometimes to, 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 to evolve to, to the next stage. Uh, and we in the tourism sector, we, we have to play a leading role in helping our colleagues who are not in the tourism sector to understand how uh, the world is, 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 is moving on and it's evolving. I think uh, between Denver and myself, we know that uh, the research by the UNWTO, which shows that uh, only less than 2% of travelers on visa commit crimes in, in, in the destinations where they go. Uh, and uh, so there have been other uses, you know, traditional uses of visas in the past. And so we've been, as Zambia Tourism Agency, advocating the position that it will pay the country to free the visas to allow liberal and easier travel. So Zambia now has an e-visa platform and the world is welcome to come. And the Zambia Tourism Agency is there to deal with any issues of any travelers that, that uh, will have hiccups in accessing the e-visa. I do believe it's quite a user-friendly uh, visa platform. Uh, so, um, like I said, it negates all the restrictions of, um, you know, uh, areas where, you know, maybe visa scrutiny was required and therefore they needed a bit more time. There's still a bit of that, but uh, with time, we're going get, to get, get, I think we are making good progress, working in collaboration again with the immigration department. Yeah. Okay. And then from your, your, from where you sit, uh, and I know it's a very difficult question to ask, that uh, when are you expecting, you know, realistic travel to begin again? Because I know it's very fluid and yeah. all of that, but yeah. from your, you know... Yes, yeah. It's, it's difficult, Kojo, but not, not very, very difficult, because um, there, are, there are telltale signs of what's beginning to happen on the market, especially with the rolling out of the vaccine. The key source markets of Europe, the USA, uh, and with the indications that uh, a number of these countries like the UK will have rolled out 
uh, vaccine to more than 70% of their populations by September. Uh, there are telltale signs which are beginning to show that actually the, the, the travel industry is beginning to make bookings uh, for the last quarter of, of, of this year to safari destinations. And uh, remember that um, actually what Africa and Zambia and South Africa have to offer to a COVID-stricken world which has been locked up and cooked up in their rooms and they are stressed are uh, the wide open spaces, the safari that we have. Before you talk about mice, which was actually booming before COVID, but our safari is just the ideal product for a market which was locked in for a long time because it's naturally social distanced. And so the markets that have been to safari are beginning to actually make those bookings because especially as they get the vaccines, because there's an indication that you are safe. I don't know if you, once you get the second shot, the second boost, then you are in a few weeks, you are safe to travel. So the daring are beginning to actually do that. So when do we expect a travel to come realistically? Uh, we should actually start seeing uh, reasonable signs. One, because people are stressed. They want to get away after being cooked for two years. So third quarter of this year, we can expect to see signs. However, and there's a however, and I think Denver mentioned a lot of um, um, negative media um, you know, information which is going out. Uh, and that's why our obligation as tourism agencies and tourism boards in Africa is to make sure that we send out concrete, reliable, factual information to the market about what's happening on the ground so that there's no guesswork. But uh, the however is, I'm saying however, because there are certain factors which have, might have to be rearranged. And uh, I'm glad, Kojo, you talked about the airline industry. I think we're going to have to look at how uh, airlines are rearranged. And we're going to have to engage with airlines. For example, uh, I am aware that there's a lot of apprehension to any routings to destinations which have a lot of stopovers because terminals are, are seen to be potential uh, contact areas with COVID. Firstly, there's a bit of risk in the airline, but maybe if the safety assured in the airline, then you don't want to stop over because there's a lot of congestion at terminals. So direct flights to destinations are gonna have to be the key. So airlines are going to have to think, how do we get direct flights? Because I think the market is going to want to jump on a direct flight to a destination. And then, of course, uh, we're going to have to give uh, to make it, uh, you know, COVID brought a lot of, um, if you like, um, uh, what can I say, a lot of um, uh, constraints to travel at entry and requirements. Uh, so we're going to have to look at this and see how do we make them easy. The easier we make travel after COVID, the, the, the better for all of us. So uh, realistically, uh, with the, the rollout of the vaccine, third quarter or fourth quarter, third to fourth quarter of this year, and uh, really into 2022, we should expect the markets coming back. Uh, but okay. the, it's only destinations that are assured that have positioned themselves as safe that are going to receive this tourist. Thank you, Felix. Ember, let me ask you the same question. From where you said, realistically, when do you see, uh, you know, travel taking shape again? Yeah. 
So I, I think similar to Felix, um, it, it's quite difficult. And yes, it is easy at the same time to respond to that. Uh, so our current predictions is that um, to recover to at least 2019 levels, you're probably looking at the end of 2022. I think right now we will be willing to take anything because the demand is flat, actually non-existent, which makes it extremely difficult. Um, so we would actually take anything right now as a positive sign. But I think uh, what we must be mindful of is that um, there's two parts. Yes, our key source markets will roll out their vaccine and let's say that takes them the next six to 12 months. Um, as Africa, we are slow to doing the rollout. So we, I'm looking at least potentially six months after they've got into their phase. So I'm looking at the 12 to 18 month window of vaccination rollouts. And, and for people in our key source markets, I'm gonna use UK, US, uh, Europe as an example, they may do inter-regional travel before they do anything further beyond Europe or beyond the US because they also wanna start getting confidence and they will trust their neighbor more than they'll trust us in Africa purely because of that old narrative that still pervades the rest of the world. And I think for us right now, it's, it's the Felix's point is, in this time, how do we reposition ourselves? How do we start owning our own narrative? And I do think that Africa actually lends itself to wellness. It is the origin of humanity. And I think what we have here is we don't have over-tourism, which all the other destinations struggle with. Uh, we are fortunate enough to have made a success with very little. I think we only get 2% of international travel to Africa. So there's still 98% upside for us. So I think what we can do is, is that we need to be focusing on domestic and interregional travel between Africa. Because if the rest of the world is going to shut down for COVID-20, COVID-2021, we need to start relying and working with each other. I think for too long, we have been dependent on others to give us success. We've got a billion people on this continent. We should be trading with each other. We should be seeing each other's destinations because the rest of the world know what value we have here and they come here. We don't seem to understand the value we have on our doorstep to actually go and experience Africa for ourselves because we are also buying into a negative stereotype that has been brought on for, for decades and centuries. So I think for us as the agencies, we definitely need to start re-looking at how we start collaborating, how we start owning our own collective narrative with our own identities, of course, but importantly is how do we start stimulating demand between ourselves for ourselves? That for me is how we're gonna overcome any form of virus or any other challenge that the world may throw at us. Just to add to your point, there's a question that came in that how is the tourism sector, the tourism board taking advantage of the after? Okay, because often than not, I mean, we, I mean the uh, economies have spoken, other sectors have spoken, but we've not seen how tourism in general are there. They responded to this, but uh, yes, if you may want, uh, I may want to have a, a take from you on the after, which was launched in the first of January. Sorry, was that for me? Yes, that's 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 for you. I was just following up on how you're saying that we need to work together as as a yep. as a continent, and then I'm 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 just saying that how 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 the tourism sector take advantage of this after platform. So, so what I mean by after is the fact is, is that uh, my biggest concern as being, I've been in this in tourism now for the last decade or so is, is that we like the comfort and we like things to work the way they did before. So when we get a vaccine, 
my biggest concern is we go back to the old habits of doing tourism the way we've always done it. Okay. What we need to do is learn the lessons. And, and what I, what I'm, when I'm referring to, when I say that we need to be collaborating better as agencies across the continent, the best way to do that is through the technology we have available now. So I don't necessarily have to get on a two, three, four, five hour flight to go and see Felix. Now that I know Felix is a platform created, what I now need to figure out is how me and Felix can actually collaborate in such a way that we can start the conversation which would never have happened if we didn't have the technology. So I think it's about using these platforms and opportunities to start creating more conversation for Africa by Africa. And I think when I look at ATA and similar associations, we have the conversation, we're done with the, the webinar, and then we, and we go into our daily task. We actually need to start utilizing these platforms to start working with each other. And I think that's where technology has actually become a liberator of allowing us to have, have that conversation. The only difference is we need to see it through. Okay, and, 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 and just on that platform, how have you, you know, shaping your HR, I mean, in terms of the human resource in your province, getting ready for this new post-COVID, if I may want to use the word? So what we've done is we've actually restructured our operating model. We've rebuilt our ecosystem. So we've moved from just being information provision into a few things. We actually started looking at providing more services and support to the industry um, and the communities where the tourism products are in. So we don't just provide visitor information. We actually work with communities and products to make sure that they understand safety, they are ready to welcome the visitor, and that they can then also get direct benefit when tourism does start up again in full force. What we've also done is, is that we uh, started capacitating more on the digital e-commerce and marketing side. Yes, we've had resources there, but what we are focusing on is actually converting, not just doing a campaign. A campaign has to lead into conversion so that it can be direct benefit for products on the ground. Uh, what we've also done is, is that we started focusing on um, really looking at our own commercial skills in the organization because government funding is shrinking. And what we need to do is to say we cannot remain dependent on government funding as if it's an endless pit. So what we have done as Cape Town Tourism is, is that we started looking at commercial activities within the business so that we can become self-reliant. And hopefully one day we can start putting money back into the fiscus and just being a recipient of, of government funding. So those just one or two or three examples of what we are doing, but we've redesigned the entire organization. We're actually implementing as we speak now. We've changed our operating model. We've also looked at technologies and we're bringing skills in. But more important, we've built up better destination intelligence using big data, using um, partners that are in the private sector who can actually give us access to what we need instead of it just being tourism focused only. All right, Enver, thank you so much. Felix, as we wrap up this uh, conversation, what is the thing that uh, Zambia Tourism Agency has, has learned from the, you know, uh, the, the pandemic and which is you know, likely to be part of your new structure and the new model, HR and all, all the strategies? Yeah, um, I think the first, the first lesson is, um, and, and by the way, let me just underscore the fact that there's been a lot more collaboration seen between ourselves in the sub-region, especially in the Southern African region on webinars like this, where we previously, we never thought, we never even dreamt we could actually be coming together on the same platform. But when we, we've been faced by a common challenge 
an unprecedented challenge. We just find ourselves found ourselves getting together, and uh, and uh, being found on the same platforms to discuss similar challenges. And and it's amazing just how common uh, the experiences were from South Africa, Zimbabwe, uh, Botswana, Namibia. And we've been, I've been on so many platforms uh, which I could not have dreamt uh, to be on. And therefore, one, it's, it's, it's very clear that we actually face common challenges. And therefore, through collaboration, we can easily, more easily deal with these challenges, including having a voice to bring this up to our government, uh, the policymakers. And remember this African Union, this, the SADC, Southern Africa Development Coordination. On my own, I might bring up the same issues to my government. It will not be the same as if we have a joint platform and bring up these uh, common challenges. So that, that, that is something. At a macro level, uh, it's very clear how significant the tourism economy is to all our economies. COVID has actually been the mirror which has revealed the significance of tourism to our economies. Because right now, the economies have, uh, are sluggish. They are not as they, they ought to be because there's no travel. And that's exactly the contribution of the tourism and travel industry to our economies. So there's an opportunity for us to actually make a case to our governments to pay more attention to the tourism uh, sectors. Because uh, especially when there's not measurability of the size of the economy, this could have been a challenge. So I think that's a big, big lesson. Coming in, in, in at a micro level, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking like Enver. We have to uh, rearrange our structures. <clears throat> our structures have to be rearranged. And uh, our approaches, definitely our e-marketing uh, units are being are going to be boosted, they are, they are being boosted. Our budgets for 2021 uh, are skewed towards development of e-marketing. Uh, and um, uh, our risk management approach uh, is changing uh, because uh, COVID is just actually uh, brought to realization that uh, uh, there could be risks that can actually change uh, uh, travel uh, and tourism uh, irreversibly. And so in our risk management, we've got to be averse to such kinds of pandemics and calamities. I think in the past, there was uh, terrorism and all this, but now suddenly a health problem has actually flattened the whole tourism, global tourism sector. So these are key lessons. But I think in collaboration, for example, uh, under CASA, we, we are actually looking at how we can come up with joint protocols. There are so many differences by being micro, by being so micro, each destination for itself, there are so many things that are different between our various destinations. And by so doing, we're actually hampering the free, the, the free flow of travel. And I think we need to, be, to make a big agenda to actually harmonize our practices, to make them seamless so that we can facilitate free flow of tourism and unlock the markets that exist in our midst. So these are actually some of the key lessons uh, that I have top of head. There's so many other Kojo, but uh, yeah. th these I can throw them at you just, <laughs> just no, now. There's yeah. a, there's a, I mean, there's an interesting question from uh, 
scattering in Zambia, you know, saying that how do you sustain some of the uh, activities or activations that you have now where you are encouraging a lot of lodges, a lot of uh, tourism facilities to make it more sustainable in terms of their offering for the locals. When we go to pre-COVID times, you're going to get expenses again because, I mean, she's okay. looking at yeah. That's very interesting. I think, I think that you see in, 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 in tourism and in all business, especially in, in, in the tourism sector, in accommodation sector, there's a, a concept called revenue optimization. And, uh, you know, the big hotels or the, 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 the high-end lodges understand this concept very well. And revenue optimization sometimes might mean bringing, it's, 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 uh, uh, you, you might have to actually go with low margins but high volume, you fill up your rooms. Now, the same concept, which we may have tried to deliver to the private sector and say, guys, be flexible in your pricing. You know, in, during low seasons, come down. When it's high, high peak, skim the cream. And it, there's been quite a bit of rigidity, especially in Zambia, in terms of flexing the rates. But sometimes it requires a crisis like the one we've gone through for the, the industry to become flexible. Now, if it's paying them now, I, I do expect that it is something that they would want to keep and sustain it because it's, it's helped them to come out of the crisis. They are able to meet some basic uh, fixed costs because they are flexing, they've become flexible. And uh, I don't see that, uh, I don't see them coming to a point where they go back to that level. It's gonna be quite a while. I think like we are all saying, there's going to be a cautious return of the international travel market. So in order for the, the industry to survive, they're going to have to learn how to cultivate the domestic and regional markets. And the price factor is going to be a major factor. You know, the pricing too is going to be a major factor. So uh, as they learn it the hard way, I don't think they will get back uh, ever leave it at, at all, yeah. Okay, Felix, thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, Amber, let me give you the final words and what will be your model you know, to the question I asked Felix, uh, you know, in terms of sustainability and all the promotions and things that you're doing, when we go back to uh, pre-COVID era. Yeah, firstly, thank you. Um, yeah, I think from a Cape Town perspective, uh, what we need to realize is just that we cannot be overly dependent on international travelers. Um, that domestic market is gonna have to be a focus for us to ensure sustainability. And with domestic market means also that um, all products and experiences will also need to understand that market a lot better. And it comes down to price sensitivity. I think that's also the one leveler that COVID has created is, is that everywhere in the world, people have less money, less disposable income. And, and where travel still sits in that hierarchy of needs is that it's still going to only be affordable to a few. The challenge for us is that how do we position ourselves and our destination around that USP? Um, and that's what we're working on. It's making sure that we remain relevant. But we also need to remain true to ourselves as, as a destination. We can't go and change ourselves to become a different destination in the next few years. That's, gonna, that's not going to be genuine. So I think what will happen is, is that um, like simple demand and supply, some businesses are going to survive, others are not. And I think what we need to focus on is making sure that as a destination, uh, that we continue to support the industry that we continue to make sure we use our brand value and its brand equity that it has globally and its appeal to leverage that so that when we do recover, 
we can leverage on something that the world already knows. I think it's difficult for other destinations who don't have that brand affinity to try and rebuild and own some space because there are far less travelers available and everybody's going to fight over that traveler. But I think the one traveler that we are underestimating the power of to actually change our fortunes is the African traveler. As much as we want the euros, we want the dollars, I believe that if you look at it, and I'm going to use um, Felix's example when he spoke about 20 million Zambians, of which 10% is middle income, that's 2 million people. Right now in South Africa, we would kill for 2 million people. So why can't we do something where we can say, well, how much do you need, Felix? Can I give you 2 million South Africans? Uh, can we put a mm -hmm. safety corridor in place uh, where there's no visas, where we get the lift? And I think John Howell of Avia Dev is on, this, uh, on the chat here. Uh, how do we create those opportunities? Because it's going to be easier for me to have a conversation or let's say at least CISA at the South African tourism um, level to have a conversation with Felix and saying, let's get our ministers together. Let's get our ministries together. Let us figure that out. Trying to do that with the UK, US and Germany, anyone else is going to be far more difficult. So I think there are definite opportunities here that we need to grab because I think when we come out of COVID-19, the vaccines, my fear is, is that we didn't learn anything from this and we go back to old habits and the old status quo. And for me, this is the time to challenge that status quo. Thank you, Amber. And thank you, Felix Shaila, for you know, availing yourself to explain and give more information about this nation. Key things here, collaboration and information uh, delivery is very key as we prepare ourselves to uh, restart tourism again. Thank you guys for joining us. And it's been another uh, wonderful edition of the CEO Town Hall. And hope to see you very soon. Thank you again. And have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, Kojo. Thanks. Right. Thanks, Kojo. Thanks, my lady. Good to see Cheers, you, my brother. Cheers, yeah. Felix. <laughs> yeah. Will do, brother. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye.